Welcome to the Accessible Yoga Podcast, where we explore how to make space for everyone in the yoga community. This podcast is brought to you by the Accessible Yoga Association, a nonprofit organization focused on accessibility and equity in yoga. Hi, I'm your host, Jeevana Heyman. My pronouns are he and him, and I serve as the director of Accessible Yoga. And I'm your co-host, Amber Carnes. My pronouns are she and her, and I serve as president of the Accessible Yoga Board of Directors. Hi, everyone. Uh, this is Jeevana. Welcome back to the Accessible Yoga Podcast. I'm very excited today to have Matthew Sanford here. Hey, Matthew. Hey. Hi, thank you so much for being here. I I just want to say, I don't even know how to start introducing you, except that, well, maybe I'll tell a story to introduce you, which is that um, many years ago, I was, um, I had just moved away from the Bay Area where I had been living for years. I moved down south to Southern California, and I met uh, this incredible yoga teacher, Anna Killingstad, actually, here in Santa Barbara. And she and I were talking about this idea of having an accessible yoga conference. And and when I was talking to Anna, I said, you know, I've been trying to get a hold of Matthew Sanford for many years. And I always thought if if he would be involved in something like this, it would really happen. And she and literally, I said that before she told me, she said, are you kidding? She's like, I've literally been working with Matthew for many years. Yeah. And I, she just moved to Santa Barbara from working with you uh, in Minnesota, right? Yep. And and I was just like, it was incredible, like, um, I don't know what, like moment I, that was all about you. And I don't know if you even realized that. It was just like where she and I kind of came together with this idea that was really centered on you, like, and bringing you out to Santa Barbara to be part of our first uh, accessible yoga conference, which ended up being in 2015. And I know you, you rarely travel. And so then when we called you and you're like, sure, I love Santa Barbara. And you even went to school out here, right? Exactly. Like so excited and grateful. And it just felt like such a big moment in my life personally. And also for accessible yoga, it was really the beginning of our, our work in a- Look what you've done since but. then, Jeevana. My God, what you've all accomplished <laughs> with what you're doing, it's amazing. Oh, and, it, and, and I'd like to, you know, tell everyone that's listening to say, oh, it's been easy for him, but I've never seen someone more dedicated <laughs> to creating the awareness and the networking to help certain messages in the world. So I, mm-hmm. I will always answer the call. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, and I just want to say, like, if people don't know you, they, they should. They should know you. They should read your book, uh, Waking. Uh, a memoir of trauma and, tran- and transcendence, which is just such an incredible book. You're an amazing writer. Hopefully, there's a second book coming. I'll just yeah. <laughs> I don't know. There are parts of the book that's finished on my computer that I think okay. need to get out in the world that are descriptions of what accessible or not what adapted yoga is and what yeah. it is to do yoga with the neurologic with neurological conditions and overt disabilities. And I think. Regardless if that book makes it in the world, there's some descriptions that should. So we'll we'll see. One thing that's amazing about your book, Waking, by the way, is that you published it in, it says 2006. And I think that, you know, I just want to go back a little bit to that time because um, the yoga world has shifted. I really do see a change. And I think there's so much more awareness of adaptive and accessible yoga now. But I remember those days back around then. And really, no one else was talking about it. You know, I mean, I was teaching kind of on my own, just a few classes, like doing what I could in San Francisco. But 
for you to like publish the book then, it just was huge. And I remember just seeing it and being, being amazed that you were sharing your story in that way. Yeah, it was funny. I mean, when I started practicing yoga in 1991, there really wasn't anything. I just mm -hmm. happened to get lucky to come across a remarkable teacher, Joe Zukovich, who isn't from San Diego, California, um, mm -hmm. who was willing to explore what it meant for asana and pranayama to travel through my body. So the, the, the fundamental ethic of, of what I believe is necessary um, when you're trying to share asana and pranayama with everybody, especially with people with, with disabilities, you got to make them a partner in the, in the grand experiment mm -hmm. because you can never have enough knowledge when it comes mm -hmm. to particular conditions. And it, not only is everyone unique just by definition, like snowflakes, but it's like uh -huh. every, you're never going to solve your uncertainty as a teacher by acquiring sure. more and more knowledge. What you're going to do is if you can make your student level the playing field before you, between you, and just mm -hmm. go and figure stuff out. That's how you learn and that's how it goes. And so like from the get-go, I think that that one of the things that truly needs to come under, this is a strong image, but come under fire um, when you're teaching and trying to share yoga with everybody is that the, lane, the playing field must be level. And that's yes. something that typically isn't in the model, the pedagogical model of yoga classes. Mm. And it is a requirement for sharing yoga with divergent populations because you don't get to know no. right how it goes. So Yeah, I love that. I love that you went right there, actually, because I, yeah. I just think that it seems like a, a theme in this work. It's about lifting up the student, actually. Yeah. In, in, in helping them, you know, it's such an interesting balance because it is the case that when it comes to like asana, for example, no matter what student I come across, I probably do know some things that might be helpful for them. Probably, that they know, probably yeah. Right. So, so it, but it's a balance between letting them know that this is an inquiry and an investigation that has to have, be led by curiosity and wonder. And also that they need to believe in their own experience and what they're actually feeling, right? Except what they're feeling doesn't necessarily, that's part of what can transform. That's the promise of yoga, right? And so you've got this kind of like empowerment, but also the person that, that maybe has more yoga experience also knows that there's a bigger world out there but don't know quite what it means for for your student's world. And so it's this balance between empowering whatever's happening and also creating the dynamic where where you can explore new things together and discover new things. And so it's it's this weird thing. Sometimes I see adaptive yoga taught like everything like if you were teaching me, if you told me everything I did was right on and perfect, Guess what? There's no room for me to actually explore and and go to other places. And that's, I think, part of the promise of yoga, that without pushing, with a commitment to truthfulness, there are places for me to go. And it's not always going to be easy, but it doesn't have to be disempowering. So it's an interesting, I find it fascinating, actually. Yeah, me too. I. I mean, I think I'm always struggling with the language because I agree that it's, it kind of feels like empowerment, but I also think there's, there's, it's more subtle than that. 
Me too. I look, I look back at like, um, if you look at the yoga teachings, which say that it, we all start with fullness, you know what I mean? Like, that's what I love about yoga is like you begin with fullness. And so to me, it's more like, um, being a mirror or something, or like trying, trying to find a way to, um, show people that they're already okay, that they have the answers inside, like to just, to be a reflection. And I, maybe that is empowering. I don't know, but I, well, I think it is. I think it's acknowledging, but also like the image that I have for myself is that I'd rather sit shoulder to shoulder with the student mm. rather than across from a student because the fire that we're warming our hands at mm. is actually both within us and it's there. And it's not something we mm. should be trying to find through our eyes. Right. It's like, it's a, it's right there. And so I kind of yeah. feel like a lot of the teachings of yoga have to be shared. They can't really be taught, even though the forums we have to teach is usually there's a teacher and student, but they're mostly like, Hey, did you feel that? Mm. Holy moly. That's awesome. Like that kind of wonder and curiosity mm. <clears throat> leaves room for the student and also honors the student, but also is good. It's good for the ongoing curiosity of the teacher. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so but, interesting. And also I think what, what you're getting at too, is that sitting shoulder to shoulder, it's also healthier for the teacher because I think there's a That's danger. Yeah. There's a danger in the teacher putting themselves above the student feeling yeah, like they have and, to fix yeah. you. Yeah. I think that's so important. Yeah. I mean, it's humbling and it's like a relief for me. It's actually a relief that I can't know everything. I mean, if yoga is actually an infinite subject, right? Kind of where you are is exactly where you, there is no more meaning by taking three more steps in an infinite soup, right? There's like only what's happening, you know, cultivate what's happening, not necessarily think you're going to ever put your arms around the whole ocean. Right. And so to me, it's kind of a relief of going like, no, there's room here. And as long as we're keeping everybody safe and open, yoga will continually give, <laughs> right? It doesn't stop giving, right? You just have to know how to slow down in here. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And now that, what is it? You just said, I, yoga is infinite. You can't put your arms around the whole ocean. <laughs> Did you just Why make that up? You want to, you know, I, you know, the other thing is when you start to encounter the immensity or the infinite infinity of, of yoga realization, it's like you tend to want to honor it and get, be humble. And, and, and it kind of makes the practitioner feel unworthy or small. But again, that's another absurdity. If it's already infinite, you're almost dishonored by shrinking. You should stand up, take hmm. up space. Hmm. That doesn't mean you're right. It means hmm. that they're not, you're not doing any more honoring by being small, hmm. right? Because your size in relationship to the ocean is not that big a deal. So I always want people to like, hey, stand up. You don't have to like be right all the time. But you should take up space here. You shouldn't mm -hmm. motivate yourself by feeling you're continually unworthy or that you're not full. Or the way I tend mm. to think about it is that, that the emptiness and fullness are simultaneous. I'll never forget mm -hmm. a one instruction I heard from a teacher said yeah. in, in the centering part of class said, feel the room, let the emptiness be full. Real simple line changed mm -hmm. my life.
wait, okay. the space here is actually full. It's not actually empty. Right. And that's kind of what you're talking about. Like the answers are all the different languages are the answers within all that stuff. But actually what seems empty is actually full. And that's part of its power is that it's both. Mm -hmm. Right. It's both. And that, and, and that's like, Oh, it depends on what I receive. Whether so, it's so, full. so as a teacher though, how do you, share that so i mean is do you have like advice for teachers then like well, yeah yeah of course what or what works <laughs> for me right but but the, i think what's most important for people trying to facilitate this kind of awareness is is to um is to not be afraid of your uncertainty like that's itself an energy right i mean if the yoga realization is essentially intangible, which I, I think the heart of it is, right? Hmm. Then don't be afraid of quietness. Don't be afraid of like sharing that awkward pause, right? That that can happen in classes that, you know, and and and, and let it Try to let the expanse be in the room with you and your students, right? That it's doing the teaching. So it's this kind of like knowing your own boundary mm -hmm. in relationship to the infinite. And one of the paradoxes that I think is true about, about principles of yoga being universal is you actually need boundary to expand. Mm -hmm. In order to expand, you actually need boundary. And so yeah. you got to know don't get small in relation to it big, but have your boundary and let the things happen in class, right? Mm -hmm. Like you don't have to be in charge of everything because mm -hmm. I, you gotta, you know, the line I always tell myself is you should trust the yoga gods, uh -huh. right? It's going to work out. If you just teach yoga, good things over time are going to happen. Yeah. You know, but say more about boundaries. Cause that's probably, it's one of my favorite yeah topics well, and words yeah yeah so you know I, I focus when i'm trying instead of thinking about particular poses i think about four basic sensations and this applies right? i know we're going to get into wheelchairs here in a while but, and so this applies to this too is that you need the sensation of grounding a sensation of balance which is a condition of safety grounding is is a condition of safety too right mm -hmm. you need some movement and in the introduction of movement in in and you need this expansion. But in order for me, one of the things I love about asana is as you, as you practice it longer, you start to realize that your poses don't end at the terminus of your body. Right? That as I sit up straight and tall and I feel my sitting bones down, something goes up. That doesn't take, it's not required that that's a voluntary choice. It actually happens, right? And so, but without the boundary of feeling my sitting bones and my feet, my mind can't access the expansion. So like I do, I say weird things. Some I've been saying literally to, lately is like when you're outside, try to um, be like at least 20 feet away from a tree and try mm -hmm. to touch the tree with the center of your chest. <laughs> Oh, wow. Right? I love that. And and you know what you have to do? You end up having to feel more of your own boundary 
for this to be transcendent, for the center of your chest to be transcendent, because it's the it's your spine that can touch the tree through empty space. Mm-hmm. It is not your body, and it's not your reach. It's actually coming from a different orientation to your consciousness, and it and so that boundary is required. Prana, I think, rewards structure, right? So you need the sitting bones and 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 the movement, some sort of structure, in order for what's in in your body to extend into the world. So I think that, you know, for me, muscular action is just a form of boundary. Mm-hmm. It's a form right. of reference, right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that, that mind can't really be here without that reference, which is part of the illusion of it, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the illusions it's stuck to, but, but so I think that, that, um, you have to go in to go out. It turns out that going towards the midline is the only way to extend out beyond your expend out transcendently. You have to go to the midline. Yeah. Right. And that's happening in every yoga pose. But it's I think, you're, but you're saying a couple to me, what you're talking about with the tree though is a little more because I think it's, it's about connecting with nature and uh, beyond the well, you're talking about beyond the limitations of our physical body, right? Connecting with mm-hmm. the natural world that we're that the body is a part of, that we're like here swimming in this world, and yet we feel separate, which is kind of an illusion anyway. Um, and so, when we can connect with something bigger, uh, it can act. Not only does it give us a sense of the prana, like you said, but I think it also can quiet the mind in that process, right? Because one of the one of the teachings I've seen, in, I remember in the in the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, is that the way he says the way to practice asana is to meditate on the infinite. You know, and it's like that's what like when you said connect with that tree. To me, that feels infinite. You know, like that yeah. tree is yeah. <laughs> it's a structured way to allow in the fact that yeah. we're infinitely connected. Yeah. Right. I mean, you also have to take seriously the living entity that is the tree. Right. Right. I mean, it takes in order to actually like and not feel self-consciously weird about touching a tree from it from distance. Mm-hmm. Right. But but it's like that is. I mean, isn't that what the yogis are trying to pass down anyway? Is mm-hmm. it despite what you're seeing? It's actually all connected. So I'll say things right. like on a practical level, like the empty space is already perfectly balanced. Mm-hmm. It's whether you can realize the balance between what's within your and what's out of you. It's you don't have to do anything. It's already integrated. Mm-hmm. It's just not integrated when we try to control it. Like our minds mm-hmm. get get confused when we think we're in charge of everything. Right. Yeah. And, and it's like, well, actually, you know, so like I'll, I'll say things in like in Shavasana where it'll be like, this is a balancing pose and all the empty space within you already touches everything. It's already happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that kind of like you're full already energy. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, how you language yeah. a truth like that, that you already have the answers within you. Those are all just attempts at different descriptions to reveal a basic thing, right? Mm-hmm. Now, this is tremendous freedom for someone that lives with a disability. This isn't right. just an idea. 
it's an experience. And especially someone that can no longer stand, let's say, let's get him back to, or needs aid, right? It's like, like the idea that somehow I'm supposed to keep up with the, with the temporary able-bodied people or that, that, or that I'm, mm-hmm. if I do, I'm inspirational or, or mm-hmm. that, you know, like I, I get saddened when, if you don't know, I get around in a wheelchair. I've been paralyzed for 43 years and I get sad when somebody, a yoga student, a doctor yoga student comes in and doesn't realize that they need to be also separate from their chair. Mm-hmm. That you don't, I mean, technology is streamlined wheelchairs and all the electric stuff that allows for different posture changes. That's all, it helps people stand up. All these things are incredibly cool, but I never want to believe in, in me that I just, tr- oh, I want to, I want to know in my bones, I live on my wheelchair, not in it. Mm-hmm. It is a vehicle that makes me more mobile, mm-hmm. but I shouldn't merge my legs into my wheels. Mm-hmm. Right. That, that sometimes that's works when I'm pushing up a really steep ramp. I need to do that. Right. Right. But I want my legs and my perception, which I can't, if you tickle my legs, I don't feel it. Right. But mm-hmm. I need to actually have the boundary between me and the wheelchair too. Mm-hmm. I don't need to prove that I don't need a wheelchair because mm-hmm. that's making the same mistake from a different direction. <laughs> okay. Right? But it's about your wholeness again, right? Is that yeah. what you're saying? Like your wholeness and you're using a device, but it's not part of you. Yeah. And, and part of what I think is so, yeah, exactly. And, and part of what I think is so, one of the things that I think is so powerful about asana and one of the ways that it, it teaches so much more than the movement is that it makes you distinguish different parts of your body. Hmm. So that makes you go inward. That's a practice of pratyahara, right? Like you have to go feel this, feel that. But when you differentiate between t- different points and distinguish yourself from your wheelchair or Mm. make it 40 times harder yourself from your family of history. Mm. Right. I mean, (laughs) that distinction, that boundary is part Uh of the realization. So, 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 and part of the unity. So it's like in order to, when you ask a student to do something, even like say they're paralyzed and even if they can't physically do it, when they go through the act of distinguishing different body parts, something emerges from this distinguishing and delineating different parts, which is part of the, it's infinite. When you, when you get, when you step off the ladder from separating your foot from the top of your head and you start doing it, your mind at first gets really engaged in trying to differentiate. And all of a sudden there's a connection and all of a sudden you're more whole exactly because mm. you've realized parts on the way to the whole. So like Shavasana giving body instructions. Now feel your back body on the floor. Feel the feel your ankles, knees, shoulders, elbows, right? And you like start to differentiate in order to let go. Right? Like in order to let Shavasana come into a whole, you go through the parts. I think asana does that and boundary is what all of a sudden you know where you are in space and then you let go. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that the differentiation, you know, the wheelchairs have gotten so great, but 
too many people I see are leaning back all the time mm. because of the mm -hmm. technology. And they don't want to fall, right? But mm. Jeevan, if you went through your life always on the back edge of your sitting bones, mm -hmm. you would lose your legs over time. Mm. Connection to your legs. Because you're never moving across the gravity center, mm -hmm. right? And going and realizing that that is part. If you're always back here, mm -hmm. right? But I'm leaning back now against my back of my wheelchair. I'm going to lose the delineation between where my spine is and where my legs are. Because I'm not changing gravity enough, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying you shouldn't tip back in an electric wheelchair. I'm saying... Have a practice. Your your yoga practice might be coming up and over your sitting bones and making sure you're safe, belted in or whatever. But you need to keep varying gravity or your mind will lose distinctions. Mm -hmm. And when you start losing that boundary, this gets all racy, right? Your mind, your head gets anxious when you lose that's, boundary. Yeah, that that's it right there. I mean, you really just, I think, touched on the that is such the, the key to this boundary concept that keeps coming up here in this conversation, which is that the mind takes over. And I think that's where we're like, what we're trying to do is really work on the mind in a way where we're not fighting the mind, but kind of letting the mind, um, you know, <laughs> I don't know, letting the mind be contained in a way, right? Like to let it have its limitations as well. So it seems like that's part of what you're saying. And so having its had no, its limitations, have a boundary so it can receive because hmm. guess what minds suck at receiving mm -hmm. think how hard it is to take in a compliment mm -hmm. to really take it in unless you're an egomaniac and you think you're the greatest thing yes. ever right but it's yeah. like your body is your receiving organ hmm. right and so minds need to just like a you need to set the conditions so the mind doesn't have to be in charge right at all moments right and 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 part of what i believe and why i i am such a proponent of something like asana it doesn't have to be asana but like it is that that i want to set the conditions for my mind to receive from places it can't control right and and in order to do that i actually need structure I need, I need to know where my body is in space. Like even when you go to balance your head over your neck or, or include the space between your ear and your shoulders and what's behind you in every yoga pose, all those cues are to, is to get the mind to have to more input coming through your brain, into your brain that you pay attention to it. But I didn't know about how important the space is between your shoulders and your ear. And guess what? I'm never going to do headstand upside down but now i realize that this space and a lack of compression and if you do the headstand arms and mm -hmm. and you put them up like the space of your the length in your humerus bone and the length in your neck actually feeds your whole body mm -hmm. i gotta figure that out without going upside down and crunching my neck mm -hmm. right i mean so but it's all possible if you start feeling mm -hmm. your way instead of tasking your mind. So yeah. for me, Austin has been so essential to help me feel my way into more truth, not tasking more truth to my mind, because then 
I don't know about you. When I'm more in my head, the world seems more hopeless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, quite frankly, although in order yeah. to make changes, you have to be in your mind, right? But well, I don't know. I don't know if that's true. I think you can make change through feeling. Practice and yeah, and caring. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I agree with you. It's definitely hopeless when you're in your mind. I mean, but that's that's what yoga is all about, right? Like getting out of your head and connecting in your heart or spirit or whatever you want to call it. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what we're trying to do here. Um, also, I mind, think that there's yeah. something about whatever I'm very in lately, the last couple of years, watching how so many different descriptions are converging on the same underlying experience, right? So mm. call it your heart, call it your soul, call it, call it the empty space in the center of your chest. Mm-hmm. Just know that it's full, not empty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like, like all the different language is converging. Yeah. On Actually, in, that's simple. in the Vedas, I think it's there's a seed in the center of your heart. Like it's like a tiny little, you know, <laughs> the tiniest little. And, and for me to get that right, yeah, I got to feel my city modes. Mm-hmm. I got to feel my feet, right? Like, or it becomes more tangible to my mind when I put structure to let that. In order for me to truly inflate the empty space or expand the empty space in the center of my chest and maybe touch a tree. I actually Mm. need the boundary of where I am in space so I can let in the infinite without um, disassociating. Mm -hmm. Without disassociating. Okay. So that's, so that's the benefit of boundaries then. Cause I think we've been talking about it without really saying how it works. So why boundaries work? It's like, it actually limits the mind. Maybe it keeps the mind present. It does something to the mind. So it doesn't go into like bad places. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, yeah. I mean, so yeah, I, I think that, 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 that the boundary, the, the, in order for something to expand without disassociating, you need grounding and boundary. Yeah. And it's well, a, and the mind will disassociate when left to its own devices. Right. I sometimes think of non-attachment as boundaries. You know, it's like, well, that's cool. um, yeah, because I, I think non-attachment, it's such a vague concept. And I think it's really just about presence, you know, um, and and like knowing where I am right now. I don't know. I, I, we're in that language, that place where language fails. Um, yeah. But like, I think of what's not here and less mm-hmm. tangible is actually an energy source. Mm-hmm. Right. And so non-attachment opens you to more of the energy of the universe. Right. But it's actually here waiting for you that not everything has to have Right. So you, you're trying to create the conditions where the energy, like I like to say things like you're breathing for the spaces that you can't control and can't feel as much as the ones you can feel and can control. Right. So the magic thing about breath is it touches both worlds. It's like mm-hmm. it's the bridge. Mm-hmm. Right. And 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 I think that stuff like this, getting back to like getting back to the wheelchairs, like when you're practicing mm-hmm. in a wheelchair or or you're helping someone practice yoga in a wheelchair it's so important for you to help them 
and help yourself feel connected at your base. So if you watch people that haven't aren't yogis and and live with disability, often the medical model has really not empowered them to to feel their feet. Or you'll see a lot of people in wheelchairs lose connection to their feet. Okay, because it hasn't been realized fully enough. Like, Jeevan, if you were to go through your whole day every time you sat in a chair and you had one of your feet hanging the whole time. That's the state you see a lot of people in wheelchairs, that they're not utilizing the foot pedals in a way that give the mind boundary and reference. So even like a, like helping someone figure out the sensation of grounding, even though when someone, the thing about living in a wheelchair that's interesting and hard and an amazing teacher, right, is that there's less direct contact with the floor, with the earth. And that's a real significant part of the injury, whatever the condition is, is that the connection to the earth is actually um, <laughs> is has to be realized differently. Yeah. Right. And yeah. And it's possible. I, you know? I see that a lot, too. Like there's like I know people who are struggling with walking focus so much on the lifting. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's like, there's this, it's just like, there's no weight. There's no like stability. The lifting is actually more controllable at first. So like a great example is I have a a student that, you know, I got certain students that taught me things that are for a lifetime. And one of them is this amazing yogi named, named Sammy. And she's got like, she's like a C4 quadriplegic and her voice is really quiet. And when she first started coming to me, she'd have a hard time because she's like had a trach and, you know, all these things. And, and <clears throat> you know, she couldn't move her body at all. She could only basically lift her, her elbows up a little bit. And, and she was having trouble with breath. And it was like, you know, and, and her scaling muscles, her neck muscles were super developed because she was fighting. Literally, it was kind of amazing. She wasn't on a trach, right? You know, was mm-hmm. like, you know, all the time. And, and what I realized in trying to help her was that her diaphragm needed something tangible underneath it. Mm -hmm. That like every time she was trying to take a breath, she was like, it'd be like you stepping off a curb that you thought was only three Mm. inches and it was six. Mm -hmm. Right. So in that, that free fall, she was trying to find a pivot point to start, to start her inhalation. You know what helped her breath? Pushing on her knees Mm -hmm. so she could get a sense of direction Mm -hmm. so the inhalation could be part of the world before she had to strain to get the lift, Mm -hmm. right? And so for her, it was about creating more base underneath the beginning of her inhalation, which nothing in the medical model was ready to try to teach her. Yeah. And that's why it's so important that yoga is taught to people that are in wheelchairs because over time, the technology will make them merge with their wheelchair. They'll Mm -hmm. lose track of the earth, right? Mm -hmm. And not just as an idea, as a freaking energy, right? Mm -hmm. And that that you can spread in order to receive. Usually when someone is in a wheelchair trying to keep up with their lives, they brace up, they get more gripped and try to like keep up with the world. Right. And that 
isn't sustainable. So the importance of teaching grounding or experiencing grounding when you are in a wheelchair a lot of the time, that value cannot be underestimated. But I had to teach Sammy how to feel space in her base. She doesn't get to push against the earth, right? She does not get that. She, I mean, just try to take that in for a second. Like I, when I, when I first realized that she never gets to push off of the earth, mm-hmm. right? Like, wait, how can I bring the earth to her mind? And mm-hmm. the answer was by pushing on her knees and putting mm-hmm. sandbags on her feet and letting her rock back and forth, right? Where she could never do that on her own, right? And and it was like that level of it was like, wait, she's not getting nourishment. She's only getting thin air mm-hmm. where you and I would be getting grounding. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, so teaching her to breathe with her whole body yeah. is actually part of it. And, same with someone with ALS. You got to teach them to feel the breath, the quality of their breath with their whole body, not just with how much they're taking in, how much inhalation, how much exhalation, because they're losing that battle, mm-hmm. right, over time. So you got to show them how to get quality and the way that the body breathes with momentum and movement to support mm-hmm. the diaphragm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a whole different way of thinking and people that live in wheelchairs aren't getting that underlying base that can actually just be a simple practice. Mm -hmm. It can be doable, right? Of grounding. They have to realize that they need it though, Mm -hmm. right? That, that it's going to actually give them more energy over time. But yeah. I'm so glad there's wheelchairs, but damn, they're problematic. <laughs> they're problematic. Yeah, it's true. It's like the solution sometimes create more problems. Um, and or, often or, there's. Or the solutions yeah. are coming from people that aren't directly living the experience. So, mm-hmm. like, an engineer looks at me and wants to help me stand up, right? Mm-hmm. And that is great. It's part of my personhood. So I, but I don't mind looking up at people anymore. I've been doing it a long time, right? Yeah. Whatever. Right? But but that's what the engineer can do is figure out a very cool wheelchair. And that doesn't mm. mean I don't love cool wheelchairs. But simultaneously, I need a practice that makes me be in my body while I sit in the wheelchair. Like, mm-hmm. they're not either or. The technological right. breakthroughs in wheelchairs are invaluable. Right. But keep me a boundary between me and my body, between me and my wheelchair, between my body and my mm-hmm. wheelchair. Because if not, things go into a mess. The, yeah. the, the, the water the, it gets too stagnant. And that's mm. itself a problem. It, it seems like the, it, it's like the medical model, like you said, um, trying to fix, you know, trying to come from outside. and From a really good I, place. That engineer really is trying to improve the quality of my life. But I, I think in yoga, we do that too. So <clears throat> I think a lot of yoga teachers think that to teach this way, they're trying to fix people or help people. And I think it's it's hard to know our role as a yoga teacher, you know, and where we fit in. But uh, I think, I mean, from what you're sharing today, it's like, it's quite, it's much more basic and simple, um, you know, to try to just share some basic 
experiences of yoga with people to make it as accessible as possible. Shoulder, it's not that different because I sit in a wheelchair and you stand. The principles are are it just kind of looks different. So in a way, you got to develop your transcendent vision of what an asana Mm -hmm. could be without you patronizing my pose. Exactly. Right. Help me bring rigor because without effort and without rigor, I'm just hanging out. (laughs) Right. And that's sometimes good to be with a group of people, you know? Um, Yeah, it is good. I have another student that has pretty bad CP and he's, he gets on an electric wheelchair and he was part of our, this is such a mind blowing thing for me, right? His body's kind of, cause CP it has asymmetrical firing. And he was in a workshop that we did called body mind story. And, and where we're having kind of a yoga piece, we're learning, working on the secrets and paradoxes of storytelling and, and, um, and having that affect, you know, how energy comes out of your spine into a story and all this stuff. And, and at the end of the few days, couple days he says something to me that completely was unexpected he said you know and this is so sad but he said and wonderful he said gosh you know thank you for letting me be in the room with all of you i never Mm. get to learn Mm. in the enough in the presence of people who don't live with disability and i was like Mm. (laughs) i don't get access to this world I got to just be part of the stream. Hmm. And I was like, are you kidding me? How did the, how did his, how he looks in his wheelchair separate him from, from the flow, yeah. right? And it's like, it's because we're afraid of him. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, so we don't quite listen. And we think we listen, but we don't. No. We, we don't. And, and that's part of what I that I think is when when you're living in a wheelchair and when you're trying to help someone figure out, it's like. And you don't know as a teacher what to do. It's like, I think we go back to how we started in this conversation. Mm-hmm. It's like sit shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. Let, let it let lead with wonder and the miraculousness of the subject. Sit shoulder to shoulder. And figure it out. Mm-hmm. And the right. good thing is it enriches both the teacher and the student. Right. It right. just means be humble, too, as yeah. a teacher. It's like, just be be human and say, I don't know. Or, you know, what do you think? <laughs> How does that feel? What would be better? You know, like, uh, it's, I think it's basic hum- humanity. Like, is what you, that's the word you use all the time, humanity, but also humility. You know, for us, mm-hmm. instead of coming in as the expert, Again, being above people, it just just be be on the same level and and yeah, I love what you said. Don't be afraid. Like, don't be afraid. Yeah, and it's just like, being you know, especially with disability, um, disability and neurological deficit is threatening to the temporary mm-hmm. able-bodied world because it's their story too. Mm-hmm. So it's like you know, everyone's on the arc of disability. Yeah. everybody on the continuum and it's like so it's one of those things that people this this student i'm thinking chris that doesn't get seen and doesn't get to be with people it's because they people don't just be there yeah he he's actually really quite easy to be around 
But one yeah. of the times you said after you started coming to our adaptive yoga class, you said out of nowhere, I said, well, I, I, I come here because um, just a few minutes in every class, I get to feel human. Hmm. And it's like, holy crimes. Wow. Talk about being disenfranchised. <laughs> yeah. Right? That that he doesn't even feel in collective groups of diversity of ability that he's actually in the room. It's like, what hmm. the hell? That that we can deal with. That's something we can get better at. Right. Which is, I think is what you're doing with your with accessible yoga. It's like there's some things we can correct pretty easily. Yeah. And, Helping yeah. Chris be in the room, it's not that hard. No, it doesn't take right? a lot of training. It, it doesn't it, take it, a lot of skill. Parker Palmer says something incredible that I just love. And I think it's literal and metaphorical. You need to learn to listen someone into speech. And that's what the best thing you can do for a yoga student, if you're trying to teach someone of other ability, is Listen them in, listen them into expression, right? Like, so they can start to feel their body again and not just judge it. So that's a good one. Yeah. Wow. All right. Dang, dang. We could keep going. <laughs> I know. I could talk to you forever. Thank you so much. Thanks for your time and, and wisdom and sharing with us. Um, yeah. I really appreciate keep it. Keep on keeping on, Jeevana. Okay. Crazy world out there. <laughs> you too. All right. Thanks, yep. Matthew. Take care. Thanks for joining us for the Accessible Yoga Podcast. We're so grateful to be in community with you. Please check out our website, accessibleyoga.org, to find out more about our upcoming programs, including our annual Accessible Yoga Conference. At our website, you can also learn more about how to become an Accessible Yoga Ambassador and support the work that we are doing in the world. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review wherever you listen. We'd love to hear your thoughts. You can also submit a question or suggest a topic or potential guest you'd like us to interview at accessibleyoga.org. See you next time.